The United States has marked a grim milestone in the coronavirus pandemic. President Joe Biden led a tribute at the White House last night as the US death toll passed half a million people. Canada's Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is expected to outline new rules on how the country selects its Governor-General, Canada's ceremonial and de facto head of state, following the resignation recently of the most recent appointee to the post. And as the UK government says, it's aiming for all coronavirus restrictions to be lifted in England by late June. We're prepared to dust off our dancing shoes and discuss those activities and endeavours that we've missed during the past 12 months. Monocle's editors and correspondents are here to discuss those stories today here on the Late Edition on Monocle 24. Hello there and a very warm welcome to you to the Late Edition here on Monocle 24. It is Tuesday the 23rd of February and I'm Thomas Lewis and joining us today are Monocle 24's Daniel Bache, he's in London for us, and Monocle's Europe editor at large, Ed Stocker, who is in Milan. Ed, Daniel, great to have you both with us on this Tuesday. We are tiptoeing into another week, so how's the week shaping up for you both so far? Ed, let's start with you in Milan. I feel like I'm going to steal uh, Daniel's weather chat, getting in there first uh, today, and say that it's been very lovely here in Milan. The weather's started to change. It's going to be beautiful all week um, and about 16 to 18 degrees. So I'm feeling a spring in my step. The windows have been flung open and, uh, you know, it feels like... Uh, a nice bit of relief after quite a grey and cold winter and obviously things are open here as well which is quite nice bars and restaurants um uh, and shops as well shops have been open a little longer but i have been out for one or two lunches of course i haven't partaken in any alcohol at those lunches because i'm a professional <laughs> uh, but it's been it's been super nice to be able to do that tom a thing of envy ed be sure to put the factor 15 on we don't want you getting burnt or caught out oh, by 30 that early <laughs> early, early spring sunshine <laughs> absolutely i empathize there ed and daniel how about you have you been indulging well i guess you haven't been indulging any non-boozy lunches as Ed Stocker has been in Milan. How's the week treating you? Yeah, very good. And uh, how long have we been doing this? I guess uh, I'm very predictable. Ed uh, stole my thunder with the, with the weather chat. I always, I always like to make a little comment about the weather here in Become London. Yes, I have very much. Well, the thing is, I'm I'm sat here looking out the window. It's very sunny, very lovely today. Not quite as uh, warm, 14 degrees or something like that. It, it was uh, earlier this afternoon, but... Uh, yeah, great, uh, great start to the day. Got out for a little ride and then uh, have just been uh, plugging away at uh, setting up the Globalist, Tomas. Uh, very good show we have uh, in store for tomorrow, but uh, another week and uh, lots on the go as ever. The late edition weather slot is really one of the most coveted positions in contemporary radio. I'm going to contend there. Daniel Bage and Ed Stocker, thank you both very much for being with us on the programme today. Well, we begin in the US, where last night, President Joe Biden led a national tribute from the White House as the death toll in the United States caused by COVID-19 passed half a million people. It is, as it stands, the highest national death toll recorded during the pandemic in the world. President Biden addressed the nation on this grim milestone, and here is part of what he had to say from the White House late last night. The people we lost were extraordinary. They span generations, born in America, immigrated to America. But just like that, so many of them 
took their final breath alone in America. As a nation, we can't accept such a cruel fate. While we've been fighting this pandemic for so long, we have to resist becoming numb to the sorrow. President Joe Biden there speaking last night at the White House. Uh, Daniel, flags on federal buildings in the US have been ordered to fly at half-mast for five days. And last night, before Joe Biden made his address, the bells at the National Cathedral in Washington, D.C. were rung 500 times in tribute to those who've died during the pandemic in the United States. Do you think, however, that Joe Biden's recognition there, that perhaps there is a, a numbness now to the 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 grim milestones, the numbers that we hear about and that we keep passing. Might that numbness be thwarting efforts to curb the spread of the virus, do you think? Perhaps you can round up for us the state of the US in terms of the trajectory of COVID-19 there at the moment and the vaccination programme as it stands right now. Yeah, you know, I think it's a little bit the opposite, Tomas, because those sort of uh, symbols and, and moments of pause really put things into perspective. There was an incredible stat uh, that's been going around this week uh, about the number of lives lost in the United States and, you know, half a million people. That's more than all the soldiers that were killed in the first, second uh, World War and Vietnam put together. That's an incredible uh, number And if you look at some of the uh, great uh, newspaper front pages that uh, paid tribute, that have been paying tribute to, to, to the lives that we've lost across this, you know, I think of the New York Times uh, front page yesterday with a with uh, that incredible uh, data graphic of, of just uh, what that looks like, what half a million looks like in, in, in just sheer numbers. Uh, so that's incredible in itself. But uh, I mean, I think it, it has to uh, reinforce uh, what is happening as far as trying to curb the spread, as you say. Uh, and uh, it will have a lot of people thinking about where, where they're at and, and how far the U.S. still has to go. Obviously, their their vaccination program is going well. But interestingly, throughout this, there's been a more uh, casual approach in many corners. Obviously, a lot of, uh, of skeptics and people that uh, haven't been uh, on board across the United States, and uh, and and some for political reasons. And and uh, you think of uh, certain states that have have remained more open than others when numbers uh, uh, are still quite high. I think of uh, the Super Bowl we saw in recent weeks, and I, you know it was almost amazing to see people in the stands there in Florida and and the just the scale of that event when uh, the state of the pandemic is still very, very bad. But uh, um, to your point, I think, you know, the, these moments and especially coming from from the president, I, I think they're very important to to uh, show the seriousness of this and, and that we're not quite uh, into the spring yet as far as the pandemic uh, is concerned in, in tackling this. I think there's a long road ahead, but uh, uh, America does seem to be uh, on the right track, which which is good. And uh, I think from what we've seen from data and uh, recent studies around the world, uh, you know, vaccinations are just so important. So I think really a lot of the focus has to be has to be there. And, uh, you know, Joe Biden has been talking quite a bit about that, about the importance of getting vaccinated and, and, and that vaccines are safe. So I think that uh, is an important uh, part of the messaging and, and part of the campaign that uh, that he will carry forward. 
And Ed, to turn our attention elsewhere in Washington, D.C., given that it is a busy period in the U.S. Capitol at the moment, in these early opening weeks of Joe Biden's presidency, the confirmation hearings uh, continue for many of Joe Biden's nominees to cabinet positions. Today also marks the first day of an inquiry by a bipartisan group of senators into the events that took place on the 6th of January. Uh, Those talks did begin just before we came to air, but what are we likely to see and hear during this part of the process of investigating what what took place at the beginning of last month, Ed? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because there's two uh, investigations, if you like, sort of running side by side. You've got the House, the lower chamber uh, of uh, Parliament, you know, where Nancy Pelosi is the majority leader. She's trying to form a, a 9-11 style commission uh, to investigate uh, wide-rangingly what happened there. Uh, when we look at that, uh, there's definitely some divisions and some wranglings over the makeup of uh, that commission, the fact that it will skew slightly Democrat. Uh, the 9-11 commission was uh, evenly split between Democrats and Republicans. The fact that Biden's allowed to name uh, several members of this new commission will give it that slightly Democratic skew. So things to be uh, uh, sorted out there and definitely politics getting in the way. Um the Senate is a different ball game altogether. There's two committees that today uh, have been discussing what happened, basically looking largely um, at investigative hearings, calling uh, in front of of those commissions uh, members of security forces, basically looking at the security failings uh, behind what happened. Why, for example, uh, was the National Guard uh, so slow to be deployed? Could there have been better preparation ahead of all of this, knowing uh, what uh, people did about both Donald Trump's rhetoric and the possibility of uh, demonstrators or a mob uh, organising? So amongst the people uh, talking are the two sergeants at arms. Those are the people who are in charge of security, uh, both the Senate and the House of Representatives. Both of those sergeants uh, actually resigned in the aftermath uh, of what happened. Uh, uh, And don't forget that 140 police officers uh, were injured and someone lost their life in you know at, on Capitol Hill so uh, very serious events the most serious really in a, a couple of a hundred years and this will be part of a, a series of investigations we also know that at some later date we don't know yet when uh, different tiers of, of security will be uh, asked you know pertinent questions including um, the FBI Homeland Security and the Department of Defense. Listening to some of uh, these discussions earlier in the day, uh, you know, Amy Klobuchar, who you remember was, of course, a Democratic presidential candidate. She is chair uh, of the Senate Rules of the Senate Rules and Administration Committee, uh, a bit of a wordy committee for you there. Uh, And she was saying that, you know, it needed to be constructive. There's certainly the aim that politics will be put to one side. Um, And, you know, even uh, Rob Portman, who is a Republican from Ohio, said he was glad that uh, they were taking politics out of it. Uh, The need is really... uh, 
to make sure that this doesn't happen again. And that's a big emphasis. Uh, uh, Klobuchar said, you know, it needs to be capital. The capital needs to be safe for us going forward. And as a result of that, there needs to be answers because the main thing is to make sure that nothing like this can happen, that security forces are in place. Now, we say, look, uh, there's lots of talk about politics staying out of this, but one can't deny that there is a certain amount of politics involved in this whole process. And the fact is that, of course, a big, big focus of all of this is, like I said before, finding out why there seem to be such deep failures from security forces and there need to be answers to those questions. But of course, there will be a certain faction of Republicans that want to avoid the rhetoric and the discussion falling too much about Donald Trump's actions in all of this. Of course, Democrats, a lot of them anyway, feel that uh, all of this would have been avoided if there hadn't been such incendiary comment from a certain Donald Trump. Republicans would rather the focus is simply on the failures of uh, these security forces for not having acted sooner and better, for not having, for example, had uh, more in place prior uh, to these uh, demonstrations, Tom. Well, how to choose a figurehead is next up here on the late edition, because in Canada, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is expected to outline a revamped process for selecting the country's Governor General. The role is largely ceremonial, but as the Queen's official representative in Canada, it's a central and an important one to Canada's constitutional life. Uh, Daniel, as the only Canadian here on the programme, refresh our memories, if you could, as to why Justin Trudeau is taking this move, which which we're expecting to hear from him this week, to overhaul the process through which Canada selects its governor generals. Uh, Well, first of all, Tomas, let me just say that uh, Justin Trudeau perhaps hasn't been getting my letters uh, asking uh, for you to be made uh, an honorary citizen at least, uh, so we can also call you a Canadian. But uh, (laughs) where do we start on this one? It's it's quite uh, the extraordinary story uh, to remind listeners what has happened here. Uh, Governor General Julie Payette had to leave the role after uh, widespread allegations uh, that she had created uh, a toxic workplace and uh, even uh, bullied uh, some of uh, the people working for her in her residence and uh, in her office, uh, which was just an extraordinary story considering, as you say, this is uh, a bit of a ceremonial role, but uh, is, is a very important one as as uh, the representative of, of the Queen in Canada. Of course, there's there's more than just reading the speech from the throne. Uh, there are uh, a lot of uh, important aspects of of this role as as a figurehead. You know, to to get to the heart of the matter and and uh, perhaps talk about who should be in this role before. We had Julie Payette, a former astronaut, quite a high-profile person, who uh, I think Justin Trudeau wanted to get into that role because a bit of uh, cachet behind her name. Uh, perhaps there was a bit of the, the celebrity uh, status there, and that's why he sort of sidestepped this uh, 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 this um, you know committee of uh, of <laughs> vetting her for for the job. She was uh, had to step down from two previous jobs, including at, uh, at her role at a, at a science museum because of a similar allegations of, of creating a, a toxic workplace. So they didn't really do their due diligence there. But, uh, you know, 
there's a lot of names on short lists, long lists that I'm seeing, and a lot of those are uh, former politicians, people who are uh, very comfortable with diplomacy and, and uh, doing ceremonial things and, and, and uh, greeting dignitaries and doing all the things that uh, a governor general might do. You know, in my mind, I think we need to get a little bit away from uh, from uh, the celebrity. So, Tomas, we're not going to see uh, Michael J. Fox or Shania Twain. You know, we don't need a celebrity. We, we definitely, uh, we, we definitely, I think, don't need a, a retired politician that's just waiting for for another pension and and to to pick up a high profile role. Um, you know, people across the country are saying that, that we need uh, someone from from a region that hasn't been picked in past. It's been a long time since someone from Atlanta, Canada, was governor general. Uh, a long time since some, someone from uh, from British Columbia uh, or uh, or further uh, afield was was governor general. And I think uh, a lot of the times that's been centered around uh, people that have come from the Toronto Montreal area. And I think it's it goes beyond just the geography of it. We have to look at really at the what the role is and, and what it means. For Canadians, not just how we pick it, which is which is important, but I think uh, you know what that person can do in in being a, a great advocate for what Canada is, what it what it represents, and and that goes beyond just reading the speech from the throne, Tomas. Well, Shania Twain gets my vote, Daniel. That's for sure. Well, finally, here on the late edition, the UK's Prime Minister Boris Johnson last night unveiled his blueprint out of lockdown for people in England. Restrictions will be eased in stages, culminating if all goes according to plan in. Late Late June, when all restrictions will be lifted. Well, a little earlier this morning, here on Monocle 24, we spoke to Ben Luke. He's the reviews editor at the Arts newspaper, and he gave us his reaction to the place England's museums have on the reopening waiting list. Well, initially, there was a lot of confusion because there was an assumption, I think, when we found out that libraries were opening on the 12th of April, that museums would follow suit. But actually, we've got to wait until the 17th of May for museums to open. I think that's come as a big surprise, and I think a lot of the museum community will be very unhappy and uncomfortable with having to wait five weeks beyond, for instance, gyms and um, department stores. So, yeah, I think there'll be a lot of consternation about that. The art newspaper's Ben Luke there speaking to The Globalist this morning. Ed, Daniel, museums and galleries are something Ben Luke has missed, I think we can deduce from what we just heard him say there. What would you say, looking back over the past year, that you've missed the most uh, during all of this? Ed, you moved cities and continents, in fact, during all of this. I'm guessing there's quite a big world of discovery still waiting for you in Milan when the restrictions, as you mentioned earlier, which have been relaxed somewhat, are loosened further. Yeah, I mean, it is a strange thing to moving to a new city, as you say. I literally moved just before uh, we went on on a total lockdown. So moved um, in time for sort of everything being shut. So there was a long list of people that I was going to, you know, contacts and friends of friends, etc., that I was going to meet up with that's kind of been put on hold. But I'm starting to sort of... Uh, start doing that now as things have eased up and uh, life feels a little bit easier Uh, I I didn't want to make you feel too jealous about the lunches I've been having which I just would like to repeat one more time did not involve any alcohol Um, but also uh, museums are are open again here and that's super nice Um, the only thing about that is actually I haven't been able to go because they're only open during the week um, and so I think they've done that to basically control the numbers to make sure they're not overrun. And that's understandable, I guess. Um, and so at weekends, they remain shut. So there's a long list 
of museums uh, that I'd like to go to uh, here in Milan, uh, including the uh, uh, Fondazione Pirelli, the Hangar Bicocca, um, uh, and also the Triennale. So those are a couple of museums. But I don't know. I just miss simple pleasures. I miss... Uh, I, I miss going to one of those cinemas that has food and a drink where you can just have a beer and, and watch a film, something about being in a, a cinema as opposed to being at home or just uh, or just being in a bar surrounded by people you don't know. People watching of people without masks on uh, would be nice as well. So many things I could say, but I have to say I am lucky in many regards because life, although obviously vastly altered, uh, is a lot more normal than in other places, including the UK. It's funny you say about the simple pleasures there, Ed. I feel as though in the past, say, year or so, it's actually a couple of new simple pleasures that I didn't really do before all of this that actually have really sort of made this whole experience pretty wonderful. Daniel, I'm sure you've been to the Toronto Islands a fair few amount of time, but if I had a, if I had a pound for every, every visit I'd made during the summer months last year, uh, I'd be a, quite a wealthy man. It was just quite lovely being quite close to the city, but feeling quite far away with a little picnic, maybe with the friends, maybe on your own. And it just felt very calming and lovely and the water was so warm and it was just really sort of made, made the year for me in, in many ways. You're someone too, Daniel, who makes the best of the great outdoors on a normal day is there something indoors that you've missed and that you're looking to cross the threshold of once the once the restrictions in london are, are finally eased well firstly i never remember lake ontario being very warm tomas but uh, you did grow up <laughs> closer to the atlantic so maybe your 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 scales a bit different it was last summer i promise you <laughs> fair enough uh you know i think uh, i would take up ed's point uh, on simple pleasures i uh last week just marked uh, three years uh, being in london London, being a London resident and a city I've always wanted to live in, so it's still new to me, and I miss sort of just the the the, the simple pleasure of being able to have a little bit of uh, choice and, and flexibility in, in life. You know, do I want to go grab a, a nice beer with colleagues after work or something like that? Just the freedom and, and things that you completely take for granted in, in normal life. So I miss a little bit of that, but uh, I am one that uh, likes to just poke around into shops and, and check out new places. And especially being in a new city, that's, uh, you know, so important. Um, uh, learning your neighborhood, learning uh, different neighborhoods and the city. I think uh, the parks have been very important for people throughout the past year here in London. Really, when, when the sun comes out and when the weather is good, seeing people take full advantage of that. But you want to see that spill into uh, other places like, uh, like markets, like museums, and, and just have the choice to to enjoy your day how you would like and yeah those little things like uh discovering new cafes and 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 things like that that's uh certainly what i am missing to us well daniel bache and ed stocker thank you to the two of you as always for being with us on the program today that's all we have time for for today's edition of the late edition our studio manager today was louis allen in london a big thanks to him as always Two. The late edition returns at the same time tomorrow. But do stay with us here at Monocle 24 for more news, more discussion, and much more too. I'm Thomas Lewis. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow.